And, and otherwise, I, I want to let the church know that we really do have a problem. Um, we already moved one Sunday school class to the back of the fellowship hall. The youth are in a new classroom. And uh, this morning, we about had to make the pregnant lady sit on the floor. <laughs> so our problem is that uh, right now we're running out of Sunday school space. And so either A, we start breaking down classes, or, or B, start breaking down walls. Uh, that's kind of where we're at. But I want to tell you how much God is blessing the Sunday school, how much God is blessing our connection classes. And uh, listen, we'll do what's necessary. I'll take my class out in the parking lot if we have to. And I'm sure the rest of them <clears throat> would do the same thing. If you've got your bracelet on, how many do? You'll know our strategy that we uh, launched three weeks ago is know, grow, show, and go. It's know the gospel, grow the church, show the gospel, and go to the mission field. Last week we covered this. We covered know the gospel. We talked about what the gospel was and what the gospel wasn't. Now I'm going to have to fast forward this morning because we are commissioning Brother George South as staff evangelist. And we're going to fast forward to the go part. So today we're talking about go to the mission field. And uh, as I said, each week we'll have a memory verse. And as I mentioned it to the children, if you didn't turn there, I want you to turn there with me to 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. You get there, say word. I asked Brother George a few weeks ago, I said, George, what is your favorite hymn? He said, Amazing Grace. I know you've heard of Amazing Grace at different times, so we decided to change it up. Add a little bit of flute, some electric fiddle. That's the first time ever I've heard an electric fiddle in the church. And that was awesome, amen? amen. The choir did a fantastic job this morning. Thank you, Brother Dave. Thank you, choir, for everything. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says this. This is our memory verse for this week. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now you can remember that part. If you do, I'll be more than happy. And you can remember the rest if you want to. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Amen. The New Testament challenges us today that all of us are charged with preaching the word. All of us are charged with the Great Commission, that it's not just the pastor's job, it's not just the evangelist's job, but let me tell you what's significant about today. You see, what we're doing today in supporting George and his ministry is what he said was, listen, anyone can hand out a gospel tract. Anyone can share the gospel. Right? But today, this is my message. To the highways and the hedges. That's what I would like to preach on. I would like you to turn to our main scripture for the day, and that is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. I will say what a wonderful thing it is to see Michelle Fry. Back after her uh, sabbatical from having a baby, 
Michelle, we welcome you back and that you and your baby are healthy. Our, our whole church is thankful about that. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 14. We'll start in verse 15. <clears throat> the scripture says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, he being Jesus, eh, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. And still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. May God bless the reading of his word. Here's what we're first challenged with in this parable that Jesus said. The first thing the servant was done in this parable, he was told to go and gather the invited. Now I want us to think about this for a minute. Go and gather the invited. Now, whenever we're interpreting a scripture, before we look at the text, we always look at the context. The context of this parable is that Jesus was at the house of a Pharisee. And he was talking amongst the religious leaders at their dinner. And so what we must understand is that the Jews and the religious leaders could not wrap their mind around that the Gentiles were also being called into the fold along with the Jews. That Jesus was calling the Gentiles into the blessing that the Jews have had for a thousand years. That's why they couldn't get ahead around. So the first part of the parable is about the religious who are invited into the gospel. But they have some excuse for their reason not to come. How many times have you invited someone to church? I invited a guy two days ago. I said, man, my church is right down the road for your house. Matter of fact, I didn't even invite him. All I said was, my church is right down the road from your house. And he says, I don't really do church. <laughs> I don't really do church either, brother. But I show up because Jesus saved my life. I show up because he saved me from hell. I show up because he loved me enough to hang on a cross. And it's not about doing church. It's about being the church that God has called me to be. But listen, people who are self-righteous in their own eyes don't think they need the gospel. And they will come up with excuse after excuse. And it says in the scripture that there was a consent of excuses. That they all consented together to somehow dismiss the invitation whatsoever. At a place that distributes all kind of information. A place that distributes uh, uh, coffee, soda, magazines, even dirty magazines and beer. 
What was the excuse for distributing the gospel there? <laughs> we don't need this kind of stuff here. This is a respectful establishment, sir. We don't need this kind of garbage. We don't need something that will actually help somebody's life. We don't need something that will actually heal the pain that someone's causing by these magazines and this alcohol. We don't need something that's going to cure them. We want something that'll keep them sick. Excuse. See, one guy said he bought a field. You know, I called one guy and I said, listen, man, uh, my youth group's going on a mission trip. Can you make a one-time donation? Can you make a one-time donation? He says, man, I'm sorry, I just bought a house. Oh, oh excuse me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you buy a house, you are no longer responsible for lost people. I'm sorry, brother. I didn't see that in the gospel. Thank you for correcting me, man. Next guy says he bought a yoke of oxen. Hey, man, can you come to the Friday night outreach? Man, I can't, man. I got to go down to the drag strip. Just got me a new dragster. Oh, I'm sorry. You see, when you start getting into the trap of excuses, anything can keep you out of church. And the devil's good at giving excuses. You talk about people coming into the house of God and they'll say, I, I need to clean my house. Well, you haven't done it the past six months. <laughs> What's the deal with now? And to me, this section can also represent church people. I think there are going to be a lot of church people who miss out in the end because knowing religion has kept them from knowing Jesus. You see, if someone invites you to a banquet and you turn it down, the problem is you don't know who the master is at the banquet. You don't know who's inviting you. But once you figure out who the master is at the banquet, it changes your answer. Matthew twenty-two fourteen 14 spells it out for us. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. I started asking. I started thinking. I said, God, how is it that many were invited but they didn't come. And the, the rest of the gospel explained it to me that many are called, but few are chosen. I want to be one of the ones that responds to the invitation of the banquet. If Jesus is throwing a party, I want to be there. I want my name on the guest list. I don't want to be left out. And sometimes it's the religious people who come up with excuse because in their own self-righteousness, they don't think they have to be there. After we go to the invited, next, we go to the rejected. It says in verse 21 that the master of the house became angry. And he said, go quickly into the streets and the lanes and bring in the poor, the blind, the maimed, uh, the lame, and the blind. I'm sorry, I mentioned mine twice. He names four types of people. First of all, he says, go to the streets and the alleys. What is this? These are in the closest proximity to the town. The streets and the alleys are directly in the town. You see, your first charge as an evangelist, your first charge as a Christian is to the streets and the alleys. It's to the people who are directly connected to you. 
your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends and family. I'll be honest with you. We don't have to go all the way somewhere to grow the kingdom. If we'll just start touching co-workers and family, God will start doing something. You see, that's our call first. Now, I believe in missions. I believe in going. But our first call is here. To touch people here. And the people who are listed here, the poor, the crippled, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, these are people who cannot get there by themselves. That's the illustration here. These are people who can't get them unless you go and gather. That's what we must know from this part. Take, for example, the poor. The poor would not have come to a banquet because they they have no money for proper dress or gifts. And at one time, every one of us was all spiritually poor. Shoot, I was so poor, I couldn't even pay attention. Some of you will get that by slow freight tomorrow. But yes, we were spiritually poor to the point that we were in no way able to buy our own goodness, to buy our own righteousness, or to buy our way to heaven. Every one of, it, every one of us is poor when it comes to the Jesus party. Every one of us is poor when it comes to the Lordship of Christ. Because none of us have the money to get there. None of us can earn it based on ourselves. And then he says, go find the crippled. You see, the crippled person has no means of standing. The crippled person is embarrassed about his or her situation because they are deformed. And actually, because they are different than others, they would prefer to stay in the alleys away from normal people. They don't want to be judged, and they don't want to be condemned. They don't want to be cast out on the street like so many times before, so they just stay there on the street. How many people have not walked into a church because the last time they did, someone judged them? Someone judged them, and they prefer to stay in the streets and the alleyways now. And how many of us are the ones who were doing the judging when someone walked in and immediately we thought, well, they really shouldn't be wearing that to church. They don't need to come into church acting like that. Listen, a crippled person doesn't need you to tell them that they're crippled. You don't have to tell the young kid with all kind of piercings that something's different about him. He already knows. You don't have to tell the young lady who doesn't dress the way you think young ladies should dress that she's a problem. A crippled person doesn't need you telling them that they're crippled. They're here in the first place because they want help. But a lot of times they come for help and they they get a a judgment and condemnation. Try that next time you're at Walmart and you see a guy in a wheelchair. Hey, buddy. Do you know you're in a wheelchair? (laughs) That's what church people do. You don't need to tell a sinner that they're messed up. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about hope for their problems. Tell them about a cure that can fix their sin. 
Next time someone walks in that you don't like, instead of pointing to their flaw, do me a favor and point them to Christ. And then he mentions the blind. You see, the spiritually blind have no means of seeing the way. You may think that a lost person driving by the, and seeing the church sign will really, really be uh, taken by, by that catchy slogan. Man, did you see that? That was so clever of that church. I think, I, I think I'm going to get saved today. Now, I, like, I, like, I like things on church signs. Most of the time because they make Christians stop and think. But listen, a lost person doesn't look at the catchy church slogan and think, wow, I've never thought about it that way. I saw one church Sunday said, eternity has two choices, heaven or hell. Bobby, did you see that? gum, man. Them Christians have been telling me all along, but that church sign did it for me. See, you may think that a lost person driving by will magically see the church sign and show up to our service. But I can't tell you how many people I've talked to which drive by this road every day and had no idea there was even a church here. They're like, where's your church at, preacher? I said, it's right off of, uh, of Roberta after you get off of Old Charlotte. Really? I drive by there every day. Let me tell you why. Because a lost person is blind to the things of the world. A lost person is not looking for Jesus. A lost person is not looking for church. That's like a man driving around looking for a shoe store. I bet ladies can pinpoint 17 shoe stores within a three-mile location. I couldn't tell you what the first one is. They are not looking for a savior. They are not looking for a way. And even if they could see, they wouldn't know what to look for. They wouldn't know what hope looked like. They wouldn't know what the gospel looks like. But it's the preaching of the gospel that God uses to transform hearts. It is the sharing of the gospel that God uses to break through a heart of stone and begin a work of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save men. And lastly, he says the lame. The lame have no means of walking. The gospel of Mark tells the account of Jesus teaching to a crowd in a building that was so packed, people could not even fight their way inside the doors. And so some men climbed on the roof and opened a hole in the roof and lowered a lame man into the hole in front of Jesus. And Jesus said... Because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. You see, the lame man can't take himself to Jesus. The blind man can't find his way to Jesus. It's the faith of a friend, the faith of a Christ follower who must bring them there. Let me tell you how to invite someone to church. You don't ask them if they want to go. Don't give them an option. Here's how I'll do it. I say, hey, would you like to come to church at 9 or at 10? Which, which one were, it, would you come to church on Sunday or Wednesday? Uh, uh, don't give them an option. Because the scripture says compel them to come in. 
Don't ask them if they want to, because guess what? There ain't never been a lost person that wants to go to church. You need to have the same seriousness about others coming to the banquet as the master has about them coming to the banquet. These people listed here in the scripture are people who society deems unwanted and unworthy. And maybe the reason they didn't show up in the first place is because they didn't know anyone really wanted them there. I'm not just preaching to the church or to the evangelist today. I'm preaching also for someone who thinks that no one else in the world has a use for you. But friend, the gospel says this, that Jesus wants you. That Jesus actually is pursuing you. And George has said it with me so many times. He says, if God can take an old wrestler like me and use him for the kingdom, he can use anybody. Jesus wants you so bad that he came all the way from heaven. But listen, the journey from heaven to earth was nothing compared to the journey from the garden to the cross. See, Jesus traveled a long way coming from heaven, getting to earth. But he traveled a longer distance from that garden to the cross. That's what made the difference. It wasn't just that Jesus came. It was that Jesus died. And that he shed his blood for me and you. I heard this quote, a strong person stands up for themselves, but a stronger person stands up for those who can't stand. See, friend, we need to understand, we need to understand this, that our neighbor, our coworker, they don't have the power within themselves to bring themselves to Christ. They don't have the desire, they don't have the means, they don't have the ability. And we are compelled to go and compel them to come to the banquet, to compel them to come to heaven. Because no lost person has the ability to bring themselves. It is our job. It is our job. And it says that he came and said, Master, it is done as you commanded. Verse 22, but the master says this. And there is still room. Good news for you. And then he says this. It's the last part of my message. He says, go to the highways and to the hedges. See, I think the highway represents people who are about the busyness of life. These are people which are on roads taking them to different directions. But let me tell you, it's a different direction other than where God wants to take them. They're on a road, they're on a highway, but it's not going where they need to go. I believe the people on the highways represent not only peoples of, uh, of the lost, uh, unconverted, but they represent people of different religions. And you see, the universalist or the liberal would look at them and say, ah, well, you know, they're going somewhere. We shouldn't bother them. Have you heard this before, that all religions are going to the same place? Have you heard that? Well, we all serve the same God. I mean, if that guy prays to a tree and you pray to God, aren't we all going the same place? See, my God didn't live in a tree. My God died on a tree. You know, we can look at the Buddhists down the street and say, man, they are really nice. They generally are. Buddhists are nice people. They are kind. And you know what? They're on a road going somewhere. So they don't really need to know that God has prepared a banquet 
for them. But friend, let me tell you something. They are on a road indeed. And it saddens me to think where that road is going. I don't need to tell you where they are going today. I will let scriptures tell you where that road is going. Matthew 7.13 says, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. I read that verse this morning and it gripped me. When I saw that word many... That there's people on the road not even knowing where it leads. They're on a road that leads to destruction not knowing that God died to lead them to life. And it burdens me because honestly I have the heart of an evangelist. I have no problems making that known. It burdens me to know that someone might go to hell because I didn't share gospel with them. He says not only to go to the highways, but lastly to the hedges. The hedges was a device of separation. It separated one property from another property. It separated one class of society from another class. The hedge represents the people separated from the normal class of society. And most importantly, the hedge represents people who are fully, their sins have separated them from God. You see, Isaiah 59.2 tells us that our iniquities separate us from God. We are all separated by a hedge. And some people would say, there's no way in heaven that person's going to come to Jesus. Even us as the church are guilty of believing that some would be so far separated from God that there is no use sharing the gospel with them. But those are the people which God desires to come. Even after the crippled, the blind, the lame, and the maimed come, Jesus says, now go to the farthest regions, to the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in. And the amazing thing is, is that really there are no degrees of separation. One time me, my wife, and my daughter were were at the Grand Canyon looking at the other side. And it doesn't matter if I was at the part where the distance was one mile or if I was at the part where the distance was five miles. The point is, I could never get across. See, in reality, there are no degrees of separation. You were just as far from God as the guy in prison right now for murdering for being in the mob, for being in a gang, for theft, for the person overseas who traffics children, we were just as separated from God as those people. Lastly, he says, compel them to come in. The reason it says compel them to come in is because in verse 17 it points out that supper is ready. That God says the banquet is ready, so compel them to come in. I don't know about you, but if my wife tells me to start gathering up Bella because dinner is on the table, I better be about the business of gathering Bella. (laughs) If I want to eat, I better get about the business of gathering my little girl. Chances are she's got toys thrown up in her room. She's probably tied herself up in a knot in her bed sheets. And it might take me a little while to get her to the dinner table. But I better be about the business 
of gathering for the dinner. And I looked in Scripture at this word compel. And it has other possible interpretations, which means force, constrain, and urge. Charles Spurgeon said when he's witnessing to someone... And when he's used every device, when he spent every last gospel bullet, then he puts himself in the gun and fires himself at them. He says when the apologetics haven't worked, when the tactics haven't worked, when every scripture I have hasn't worked, then I just put myself in the gun and fire them and urge them with everything I have to come to Jesus. See, sometimes... Maybe a lost person sees that we're so passionate about them. There's something within them says, if this person cares enough, maybe I should listen. The act of compelling does not reflect the heart of the servant. It reflects the heart of the master. It's not necessarily about you wanting them to be in heaven. It's about God Wanting heaven to be full. You see, because we're going to give an account to God for what we did with the gospel. And when I realize that God wants heaven full, then I better be about my father's business. Here's what we're going to do. I need a... Let me say... Brother Lee, will you get me a chair out of this room right here? We're going to set it down front. We're going to have a commissioning for Brother George. Dave Canfield's going to come sing. We're going to have Brother George come sit right here, and I'm going to ask any prayer warriors, leaders from the church, deacons to come. We're going to lay hands on Brother George and pray for him. Because here's what licensing does. It shows the individual... That your home church supports you. That's the essence of what we're doing today. That your home church supports you. Brother George, I'm going to ask you to come sit here. We've been challenged from the word. We know that, that you indeed have a hard job. That we indeed all have a hard job. As Dave sings, we're going to have a, our leaders line up on this side of the wall. Like I said, prayer warriors, deacons. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where, what church you're from today. Brother George said, let me, let me have a word of prayer before everyone lines up. Father God, I pray for Brother George today. I thank you for him being here and for the friends, family, and individuals that are here in support of him. God, we know that sharing your gospel is the greatest privilege on the face of the earth. But also, we know that when we're out sharing the gospel... That the devil would be hard at work against us. So we lift up Brother George today. We pray that you would put protection around him. That your holy angels would minister him strength. That your Holy Spirit gives him wisdom and peace every time he shares the gospel. God, we pray over every gospel tract that is handed out. That you will use it for the building of your kingdom. And God, as our church supports him today, we do that symbolically and also spiritually as a commitment to pray for him as he does the work of evangelism. Amen.